You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing monthly and extremely nerdy conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, discussing the way these movies have shaped us and our imaginations. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Get ready to yell once again at your podcast players because we've arrived at part two of our multi-part finale where we will be discussing listener questions reflecting on this project, which we started in July of 2017, and stating opinions strongly on all manner of things Disney. Today, we'll mostly be discussing Disney heroes, love, and the Christian humanist themes, but I'm sure we'll hit some other topics along the way. We are very grateful for the listeners who sent in questions that we'll be answering. Let's drop some names here. Kelly Gilbert, Tim Rhodes, Melton McMainerberry, Jason Harville, Karis, Amy, and Gina Johansson, Jordan Poss, Nathan Gilmore, and Joe Cerniglia. 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 See? Did you like that? Did you think I'd like to hear my name close to correctly pronounced by Joshua Altmanchover? There's still time to send in questions, because spoiler alert, we're going at least three episodes for this finale. In fact, we may just turn this podcast into a listener mailbag about Disney movies. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, you can reach out to us at before they were live at gmail.com. Joining me as always, the only other person I know who's watched every single movie in the Disney animated canon, Michael Farmer. How's it going, Josh? Has your Have you not subjected your wife to all of these movies? I have not, no. I'm, uh, you know, I... Uh, I know that she won't want to watch all of them, and so she's not watched all of them with me. <laughs> Smart. On yeah. your part and hers. Yeah. Did Victoria watch all of them? Uh, no. No, I guess she didn't, because I know she didn't watch Strange World, so there must have been a couple others she didn't watch, too. Yeah. See? We're both smart guys. That's why they gave us this podcast. <laughs> That's right. That's why they... Gave us this podcast. <laughs> the um, you know, the, those behind the curtain at the Christian Humanist Radio Network, of which I think we might be the last show standing. <laughs> <laughs> now, Coil's still putting stuff out. We got to we got out last Coil. That's true. Um, anyway, uh, we've got some uh, follow up from last week's uh, episode that I thought we would start with. Um. From uh, the aforementioned uh, Kelly Gilbert, who made us a chart, <laughs> which was awesome. And I will make sure that it is on the, uh, by the time that your ears are hearing this, I will make sure it's on the uh, the website before they were live. So everyone can go and see this, uh, this bar graph of the heroes, or sorry, the, the, uh, the villains and their um, <clears throat> associated uh, deadly sins from uh, Dante's Inferno. She even oh. did a special font for the title. 
yeah. it looks like a like a Disney villain font. Like it looks like something Maleficent would write in. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It's really nicely done. So anyway, I don't know if you have anything to add to what she wrote. I'm just going to read what she wrote. And then if you have anything to add, then you can. She said, I wonder if the 1990s and perhaps the post-Renaissance per period, early 2000s, was the only period in which we could have had a lustful Disney villain. That seems to be the earliest time period where overt lust from a character in a, quote, family movie would have been socially acceptable. And it seems like the last time period where misogyny slash unwanted sexual aggression toward women was socially acceptable enough to be in a Disney animated film. For example, example, I can't imagine Gaston's forceful proposal to Belle happening before the 90s. It'd be too risque, and it definitely wouldn't have happened post-2017 or so. Now, I have one comment to make on that, but I wonder if you have you have more, um, Michael. I think Kelly's dead on. I think that's a very insightful um, insightful observation. I, I do wonder, and maybe maybe this is what you're going to talk about, I wonder how they handled it in the live-action Beauty and the Beast, because I know they made some changes to the Gaston character. I know this from watching a Lindsay Ellis video, not from watching the movie, but I can't remember if she addresses um, Gaston's uh, proposal, as it were. Uh, yeah, I was. that's not where I was going, so that, that's a good point. That would, that would be an interesting... Um, way to gauge how these movies have changed is is the live actions, which of course neither of us watch, so we can't really speak to it. <laughs> some, um, some other podcast is going to have to. Some other podcast could gauge social norms and the way social norms have changed based on those movies. I have seen the live action Aladdin, and you know, like the, uh, um, you know, you'll never have a friend like me scene where uh, you know genie create some uh, seductive dancers for Aladdin at one point in the animated one. That's definitely not happening in the, in the live action one. Um, do you think that's because of changing norms about human sexuality? Or do you think it's just because that reads differently when it's a flesh and blood person versus a cartoon? Yeah, it could be either, I guess, but I do feel like there has been a lot in our in recent years about um objectifying women and particularly that movie like they add a whole song about how she's not you know um she's not going to be silent you know like she's more than an object basically so i think it's probably both how did you end up seeing that movie um we had a a school event um where it was shown so i saw it at the school event and then unfortunately unfortunately my my wife and kids were there because it was like a, a family school event you know and they saw oh, they it weren't they, just showing it to the dads no, no, no yeah yeah right well <laughs> anyway my, well, my kids are homeschooled but you know they they still came to the event um and yes so uh they liked it so they've seen it multiple times since then so i've been subjected to it more than once um <clears throat> that is getting off on a rabbit trail. I did not mean to get off on. Um, I was going to mention you. You and I both have a favorite film in the canon. We're not actually doing our top uh, movies this this month. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep teasing that for listeners. But I think this will probably be in one of the tiers for both of us. Um, three ca- caballeros had a very oh, yeah with, uh, with had an extremely lustful uh, Donald Dora Duck Luz. in it. An extremely lust lust filled Donald Duck. So it's different when the hero is <laughs> the one who's being lustful though, right? Like it's it's different when it's because there's no sense of menace for Dora Luz because we know that Donald is harmless. Right. Yeah. 
but, you, but you're it's right. Not just like, he, the, uh, it's not just Dora he, though. He's like dive bombing the 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 women in, on the beach and stuff <laughs> with his. I had forgotten about that because I have tried to forget everything about Three Caballeros. <laughs> so anyway, but that, that's just to say that there was some sort of socially acceptable lustfulness pre nineties. Right. Uh, it it, it, it can be played for laughs when it's somebody like Donald Duck. Right. But it's hard to imagine somebody going after Sleeping Beauty the way Gaston goes after Bill. I, I agree with Kelly on that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. All right. Have um, we I lost just, something? I mean, it, that that's a question she doesn't ask. I mean, would would the more recent movies be better if they were more comfortable with that? I can't imagine they would. Yeah, I think, well, it depends on what you want out of your Disney movies, I guess, which is again, a, a, another question that was asked that I think we'll be uh, uh, we'll be discussing next month. You know, what do you want out of your Disney movies or what should a Disney movie like my wife will not rewatch uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame because of Frollo. Like she right. she's just too creepy. And I mean, she said that she felt uh, I can't remember the exact words that she used. I don't want to misquote her, but basically, you know, like she felt dirty just watching it, you know, um, and so like definitely you know she doesn't want that in the in the movie you know um i think we talked at the time like i think hunchback of notre dame could have been an incredible movie if they you know picked a lane um, right they, right. they decided there. they wanted it to be a pg-13 movie or they decided they wanted it to be a g movie right yeah so i think if they had decided hey let's try and do a pg-13 animated film i think maybe i would have liked it you know potentially um there, there's definitely some incredible uh artisticness to that movie which i think you know anybody can go back and listen to that episode i think we'd probably discuss it at the time so um my wife would still not like it as a pg-13 movie either you know <laughs> so right, right. but but uh um it's worth yeah. pointing out i mean kelly doesn't say that beauty and the beast is the only one that does that it says that the the renaissance period the post-renaissance period is the only time when that would have happened and, and hunchback certainly fits into that yes absolutely so, any more to say on that? No, I don't think so. I, okay. But yeah, I thought it was a great observation. Yes, excellent observation. And uh, thank you very much for the chart. It's very, very cool. Um, okay, and then uh, our pal Tim Rhodes, who joined us on which episode? Aladdin? Was he on the Aladdin. Aladdin? Yes, and also of, uh, uh, what was the name of his show? Um, Night Cheese? Night Cheese, right? yeah. We went yes. on Night Cheese to talk about... Uh, who Framed Roger Rabbit, a movie which scandalized you the way Hunchback of Notre Dame scandalized your wife. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, uh, well played. Um, so he he talked about he and his son uh, kind of discussing um, the brokenness of villains versus just plain evilness of villains, which I feel like is a thing that we see more in our another thing that we see more of in our in our recent era. We want to uh, somehow. Um, empathize with our villains or something i think is like a, a modern trope um but but so his question was of the disney villains which do you think were broken versus just plain evil for evil's sake yeah do you have thoughts on that or do you i mean the, the, the oh, easy answer is the ones from the last 10 years right maybe beginning with um with big hero six yeah well i go even one before big hero six because i think bowler hat guy it's clearly oh yeah 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 meet the Robinsons. Clearly broken yeah clearly broken also depending on who you think of as the villain in brother bear there's a lot of kind of therapeutic 
ideas in Brother Bear, just like in just like in some of the later ones. And in in a, in a weird way, Brother Bear, which I'm going to bring up again a little later, Brother Bear is like a weirdly predictive movie. Yeah, I don't I don't remember a lot of Brother Bear, so I'm not going to bring up Brother Bear later. <laughs> but please, but you, but yes, please, please do remind. You, me. You're right. Meet the Meet the Robinsons is is might be the might be the first one where that's really really clear. Yeah. I think uh, if we go to the older ones, it's it's number one, it's less clear. And I'm also worried that we're in dangerous territory because maybe we're approaching things like uh, Maleficent or Cruella. <laughs> I didn't watch either of those, so I don't know. But definitely our podcast is not trying to inspire any Disney Plus franchises here where we get the backstories of, uh, of our villains. Um, uh, but yeah, maybe maybe Prince John is broken. Yeah, Prince, I, I, Prince, Prince John I was thinking about too. He's, he's such a pathetic... Um, pathetic character. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe even like Scar, you could see him potentially being broken versus Zillner. Scar is so much more evil than Prince John, though. I, like, I, I agree. You can, they, they, have, they kind of suffer from the same thing, right? Which is they have this great brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scar, Scar leans into it. Scar is, uh, Scar is Iago from, um, from Othello, I think I said that last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 hard to see him as broken so much as just evil. He's he's really a more throwback villain, I think. Yeah, but I mean, certainly, really anything other than um, Bellwether from Zootopia. Basically, anybody since Big Hero Six is going to be more of the kind of um, this movie wouldn't exist if everybody went to therapy or whatever. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of our that's. that's so you're kind of agreeing there with what I said originally that the it's kind of the the era that we're in for for whatever reason we want we want our villains that way. Gosh, can you imagine if they made a live action Robin Hood that attempts to see the humanity in Prince John? I mean, it, it it's complicated by the fact that uh, King John is a real person from history who kind of sucked. <laughs> right. You know. You know. I teach medieval history now and when i was doing all my research to write these lectures i you know discovered as anybody who who reads very far in the history does that richard the lionhearted really kind of sucked mm-hmm. i thought <laughs> i thought well maybe um maybe that means that john has been misjudged too and maybe he was actually a pretty good king and the answer to that is no he's actually much worse <laughs> even than i thought he was so I, I think a movie that tried to humanize uh, either the real King John or the King John from Prince John from the Disney Robin Hood, I think it would have I think it would have some roadblocks, which wouldn't stop them from doing it, I'm sure. Um, but uh, it's uh, he he is a unappealing figure in real life. Yeah. Um, do you have anything broader to say about the. Uh... The, the social implications of that, like why why we humanize our villains since I, <laughs> since the 2010s or whatever. I, I feel like th- there was an episode where I, I complained about this in detail. Was it the Encanto episode? Oh, it could have been. I, I don't remember that. I, I complained about the kind of therapy language that's taken over moral discourse in this country. So I, I, I think if our listeners really want to hear me talk about that, they can go listen to the Encanto episode. It's it's a thing that, like a lot of the tropes from the 90s, was really cool and interesting when it first happened and has gotten old and it's time to replace it. They they, they need to do something different with the villains than what they've been doing. Um, it, it's kind of outlived its usefulness, in my opinion. 
Sounds good. You know, I, I would like to see their next movie, Wish, uh, the bad guy just be uh, unstoppable force of evil like Maleficent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to happen. Neither do I. Neither do I. Well, those are, I mean, that, yeah. That's good stuff, though. I mean, it's it's, it's just interesting to me. I I, I like the uh, the social commentary type stuff. I I don't feel like I'm good at it, so I'm I'm happy for you to do it. <laughs> I like to hear what your thoughts are. I don't know that I'm good at it either. <clears throat> All right. Well, that was our follow up. Uh, we've got three big categories um, similar to last episode. For those of you who are tuning in for a second time, uh, we've got a looking back, which is kind of our some nostalgia type questions. Uh, we've got our major awards, and then we've got um our lightning round which michael accused me of not knowing how to do so i'm gonna see if i can do better this month (laughs) so michael do you have any moments that have stuck with you from either the moment from either the movies or from the podcast i don't remember who asked this question the podcast moment that i always think of is when we were talking about whichever i think it was melody time but it might have been make my music the one with all the cats join in and you were complaining about the doofy high school kid who did not get to dance with everybody else <laughs> and i remember you said my understanding was that all the cats join in <laughs> for whatever reason that's the that's the moment i think of when i think of this show that's great <laughs> sticking up for the doofies <laughs> I, I think of um i think of coil neil coming on the sword in the stone episode and making the completely indefensible point that that's a great movie <laughs> which i mean it's just that's that's who coil is and i i uh, i loved that yeah yeah i like sword of the stone much more than you do but maybe not as much as coil does so <laughs> didn't he say it was his favorite or like second favorite <laughs> maybe i can't a crazy opinion i'd have to i have to go back and listen to that i don't remember but yeah thanks for coming on the show coil um <clears throat> yeah i for me, it's also some like things that you have said um, over the years. Uh, I'm going to bring this up again. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to combine this with our next question, which is uh, what nuances, innuendos, or details did you pick up on this time around that you missed when you watched these as a kid? And so the, I, the two that I have, and these are both moments that stuck me from the podcast and also are things that, that you helped me pick up on, um, I think, more than I missed them as a kid. I may have missed them as an adult as well, but you helped me pick up on them. Um, one is uh, the, the virtue of smallness and the rescuers that I think we spent a lot of time on in that episode. I don't remember how much time but for whatever reason that that really stuck with me this idea of our our small acts um being a big a big deal um during in the rescuers and then uh you talked during our mary poppins episode um which is one of our deuterocanonical episodes so i know that's not actually in the canon but um the the many vocations of bert (laughs) and um like uh how you know sometimes I don't remember exactly how you put it even. Um, Maybe you remember better than I do. But um, just something about, you know, like uh, the the being able to do a lot of stuff. um, It it was like not valued by his culture. He was always doing like the bottom of the, you know, like the chimney sweep or or drawing drawing chalk. But um, it didn't matter, you know, like it was... um, 
he, he didn't have to be like the big banker or whatever, you know? I don't know. That I can't, I'm probably not saying it nearly as well as you did at the time, Michael, but it I really was really stuck. going through it when we recorded that episode. Yeah, but it, really, <laughs> it, it also really stuck with me, you know, like it really, it really just stuck with me like that, that idea of it there. I mean, they're similar ideas, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not our work that, uh, or the, uh, the size of our work, the, the, you know, the, the obvious, um, largeness of things um that's always our greatest impact and i i don't know for both for whatever reason both those uh, messages really stuck with me well i mean our listeners who don't know this we we've both switched careers um since we started this podcast you have moved across the world like it, it's i i imagine if you if you know enough about our lives and you go back and listen to these episodes you can kind of hear us notice things autobiographically Mm-hmm. And um, I, I know exactly what I was going through when we were talking about Mary Poppins and what led me to 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 notice those things in that movie and why the movie meant something to me because of that. Um, and and so I'm I'm glad to hear it made an impact on you though. Um. Yeah, and then I think uh, I'm gonna just say moments from the movies that have stuck with me. We'll get to um, through the rest of our major awards here. Like I think because um, we're gonna be hitting some of the you know the best of things, <laughs> and so so I think we'll we'll kind of flush or flesh that out as we. Uh, the as, the as innuendos though, so. I, I would say the existence of the innuendos went pretty much over my head when I was a kid. I was surprised going back to some of these at how. Sexual is not the right word, but what did um, our our guest Wesley, when we talked about the fox and the hound, told us that we should we should have a category for horny Disney moments, and there, <laughs> yeah, like, definitely. <laughs> I never noticed any of those as a kid, except um, except the Lion King, and right. I remember being made incredibly uncomfortable as a child by the Lion King. I was twelve right. years old or something. Yeah, so Lion King hit you just at that time when you were, you know. Discovering innuendos in general, right? Right, so. right. But the the rest of them um, really did go just straight over my head, as I guess they should. It's a good thing they did. Right. Yeah. I actually that that brings up another moment when uh, in Lady and the Tramp when uh, they're they're sleeping on the hill and uh, her her ear is like drooped over the over him, <laughs> and and you you pointed out to me that, that that showed that something happened that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I missed it as an adult. So, <laughs> to the pure, all things are pure, Josh. And I think that's what you said at the time. Yeah. <laughs> my um, I I think maybe my favorite detail in any Disney movie is um is in Lady and the Tramp when they're in the when they're in the dog jail in mm-hmm. the pound and uh, the 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 very obviously Jewish intellectual Russian wolfhound starts quoting Gorky. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that that might be the funniest thing in any Disney movie. <laughs> As Gorky says, <laughs> how is that like that movie? Everybody remembers Cy and Am being racial stereotypes. There are yeah. so many racial stereotypes in there that movie. A million. Yeah, that that movie is a very racial racially stereotyped movie. But All most of them, most of them are white. Extremely small town in the middle of America. <laughs> but but most of them are white ethnic stereotypes. So I think that's why the movie hasn't been canceled. Yeah, maybe so. Unlike like the crows in Dumbo. I mean, nobody cares if you make fun of an Italian anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I assume some people care. Maybe Jess or Cernelia cares. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right as again, Jeff. 
<laughs> you have our email. <laughs> I break your face. <laughs> He's a talking to me. <laughs> okay. So major awards. Um, we are on the Christian Humanist Network, Michael. I don't know if you're aware of this. Have you heard of this? <laughs> yes. Um, so I thought we should have like a most Christian humanist uh, category. Um, and then we got a few questions uh, in line with them. Many of them from uh, our friend, uh, let me find the name again, Melton McManerberry. Yeah, and, Melton McManerberry is not his real name. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> you'll be surprised to learn. Well, Melton McManerberry uh, put his own name in quotation marks, which I feel like was a clue to us that Melton McManerberry. Yeah. Now, I have he a. not announce his real name. Well, I have a guess. Because I want to plug his podcast. I don't know how much he wants people to know his real name on his podcast. Oh, I, I, didn't, so, I, didn't, I didn't realize that he had a podcast. I, and maybe you and I are thinking of different people who Melton McManerberry may be. I was thinking. Oh, I know him in real life. Okay. Well, I did. Okay. Well, I was thinking it was Michael Eisner. So. Okay. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry <laughs> to let you down. <laughs> I mean, I know he's a friend of the show. And so. But okay. Um, Melton is the host of a show called Nashville Anthems, which is like a, a super deep dive into 80s and 90s country music. So if anybody is interested in that um, topic, I do recommend that show. He used to host a King of the Hill podcast, which is why his name is Melton McManerberry. McManerberry is a city on King of the Hill. But that show, unfortunately, is no longer being produced. So Nashville Anthems is uh, is Melton's, Melton's show. Right. Have you guessed it on that show, Michael? I have a, um, his level of discourse about these, uh, 80s and 90s country music songs is much higher than I could <laughs> Okay. There's a lot of music theory and stuff. Awesome. All right. Um, all right. So, um, I, so anyway, many of these questions are from him. I don't think all of them are. Um, and I, I'm, I didn't, <laughs> I, I sorted all the questions into categories. I didn't always keep the names of them as I sorted with them. But, um, if you, if you sent a question in this, Category, thank you. Um, which Disney animated films raise the best questions and which ones assume the worst conclusions about the nature of love? I put this under most Christian humanists, obviously, because love is a, uh, is a, uh, is a very Christian virtue. But um, I know this is also talking about romantic love. So, Do you, do you want to go first on this? Um, I have a couple that I know that we talked about during the show. Um, so I'll just like refer people back. So... Um, or at least in my memory, we did. My memory. <laughs> Once again, folks, we started this in July of 2017. I don't remember everything that we said or talked about. Um, I forget most of the shows the moment we record. Them. <laughs> okay, I do. Th- I do feel like we contrasted uh, Jungle Book and Tarzan at the time of Tarzan, um, because in Jungle Book, uh, Mowgli, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, falls in love with this girl at the end and goes to leave uh to be with her i remember hating it as a kid i think i mentioned this on the show like i i hated that ending as a kid i think as an adult i actually appreciated it because mowgli is actually he he's not an animal he is a a human and he needs to grow into human love and um and uh, i think that's a that's a good theme um and so i think that is actually uh a, a, a good question that is raised about love and the nature of love in jungle book because it's it's really uh it's a it's an emotional ending he is saying goodbye to something there that he does love but his love is is 
you know, really oriented wrongly in some ways, you know, like it's, it's a childish love that needs to grow into a more adult love, which I think we talked about at the time. And then Tarzan does the opposite. Um, they don't leave the jungle. Um, they, they stay in it. And so I think we contrasted those at the time. Um, we, we may not have, because now that I'm saying that I'm thinking that the other one I know that we contrasted was, uh lady and the tramp and uh and what what did we contrast lady and the tramp with later on oh i have no idea i remember uh because tramp becomes domesticated and then there's another one later on that we contrasted it with because it it doesn't it doesn't end in domestication right i mean peter pan doesn't end in domestication yeah, that's true, but I don't. They're think that, right next to each other. I wonder why that didn't occur to us at the time. Yeah, or maybe it did. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Anyway, yeah, that was in the middle of thinking. I was like, oh, maybe we didn't do Jungle Book and Tarzan. Maybe it was something else. But anyway, Jungle Book and Tarzan came to me today as I was thinking this through. <clears throat> I have a couple more things, but you you talk. I talk long enough. Okay. Um, I I really like what both Frozen and Lilo and Stitch have to say about love. The the fact that it's love not between a man and a woman, but between two sisters in both of those movies. Both of those movies, I think, kind of broaden the traditional Disney understanding of what love is. Um, And then the other one I would add, and I think this is mostly because of the book it's based on. It doesn't come through in the movie quite as much, but... um, Ichabod and Mr. Toad, the Mr. Toad segment, the the fact that Mr. Toad is such a terrible screw up, so difficult to be friends with and to be around. And yet his his friends kind of come together and risk their lives to help him. um, I find that very moving and I find it a very um, a, a very moving picture of of what love really is. Again, the book does that much better than the movie does, but enough of it holds on in the movie. Um, to where it comes through. Disney doesn't take that away from the source material the way they do sometimes, in fact. Mm-hmm. What else would you add? Um, yeah, so I, <clears throat> those are good good choices, Michael. Um, I also had Lilo and Stitch on my list. Um, not because of the sisters, but because of the family dynamic in Lilo and Stitch and the kind of idea of like, we can create our own family, um, which I think uh in in many ways that's what the the church kind of is you know like the church comes together and is a family of believers and we care for each other and love one another um despite uh our past and you know particularly with stitch you know stitch is a you know a created <laughs> created to be a villain you know um but ends up finding love in this family and acceptance in this family um so yeah i i think the sister thing you're you're spot on but i i had listed it for that other reason um i also included princess and the frog which is a little more of the traditional love but um i included it because i really um i really liked the message in that movie of um digging a little deeper and thinking you know what you want and they both think they know what they want but they they don't actually know and they don't actually they're they're not actually pursuing that that deeper form of love i guess it's it's a kind of in line of what I was talking about with Jungle Book also, right? Like their love is oriented towards uh, a good thing, but not the the greatest thing, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they need to orient their love in a different way. So now neither Princess and the Frog or the Jungle Book, do they orient it towards uh, <laughs> a creator God or a redeemer God or anything like that. I don't but know that you're going to find a Disney movie where that happens. <laughs> right. But they are, <laughs> they're at least looking for a deeper or a, 
higher or more mature uh, kind of kind of love, you know. So, and I don't mean mature in an innuendo type of way. <laughs> kind of the closest you get, I think, is Pinocchio, um, in, in the sense that Pinocchio is about a, a, a boy and his creator, um, Geppetto. Yeah, yeah. Hold on to that one because I think we'll come back to that um, in a couple questions here. I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, more to say on best and worst conclusions about the nature of love. I, I think I think I covered what I want to cover. Unless, okay. I mean, to bring up Ralph breaks the internet. I Ralph breaks the internet. I I don't think is a very good movie in a lot of ways. I, I think, and I I think it gets into the kind of therapeutic uh, stuff that I I don't love about more recent Disney. And yet the the the, the kind of presentation of love between him and Vanellope in that movie, I do, I do appreciate. So maybe that's the best thing about Ralph breaks the internet. Okay. Um, so I, I combined a couple questions again here. Um, we have, what are the best and worst quote messages Disney movies have promoted over the years? And I combined that with, which is the least Christian of the Disney anime, animated features? Why and what sense? Because I, I kind of figured least Christian and worst message probably. Um, they'd probably land close yeah, to it's, both of it's, us. It's Zootopia, right? Like Zootopia's denial of um, of intrinsic values. Zootopia's kind of radical nominalism and nihilism. Uh, I, I I don't know. I don't know another one that offended me more than uh, than Zootopia did. Yeah, Maybe the uh, only one I would say is actually like an immoral movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Zootopia is hands down worst message, least Christian. One hundred percent, I'm with you on that. I remember you also being uh, offended by Little Mermaid. Yep, the and the, the part about Little Mermaid is is that it's so radically anti-authority. Mm-hmm. Um, which is talk about things you didn't notice when you were a kid. I mean, yeah. I probably did notice it and just didn't think it was a bad thing because I was a kid. Right. Yeah, you're on the side of Ariel. <laughs> Her completely unreasonable father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. doesn't want her doesn't want her to go try to live with uh, with a totally different species than them that regularly tries to kill their people. <laughs> that monster. <laughs> uh yeah. Best message. Best message, though. Flip it around. Best message. I think we. I mean, we we hit it a little bit um, in in the nature of love one. Do you have more to add? I'm just looking through and seeing if there's one here that has a has a message that's not primarily about love that I appreciated. I remember we talked on several episodes about. Um, and I don't remember which episodes exactly, so maybe you you remember better than I do. But um, we talked about um, some of these movies seem to be encouraging us to uh, re-enchant the world in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, again, I don't remember specifically which movies we talked about that on, but I think that that's, an, in general, a pretty good message. I think Moana has a pretty interesting message that I think is also a good one. Um, I know that our our guest Stephen Gradonis said that it's a Junior Knows best plot. I'm I'm really not sure that it is. That that's a movie about finding who you are in the context of a larger tradition, um, and and for that reason, it it does feel very different to me than the Disney Renaissance movies that it's uh, that it's kind of modeled on. I think 
at least as things stand right now, Moana is their last great movie. And um, it's one of the most interesting in terms of the quote unquote message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think I liked some of the movies beyond Moana more than you did, but I I, I won't disagree with you. That's a great movie. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to I'm not going to give away my rankings, and also I can't find they're not right in front of me, so I can't remember if Moana is is the highest ranked of the recent ones or not. So I will, we'll we'll leave that for next month to find. I out. haven't made my ranking yet. It it is definitely the highest ranked of the most recent ones. I don't know that it's in the very top, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll all find out together. We will all find out together. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. I don't have anything else to add on that one. On as far as a best, um, best one. Uh, which of the movies do you think best illustrates the creation, fall, redemption, restoration slash consummation arc of Christian scripture, and why? I think there's a hands down answer to this one too. Let's hear your hands down answer. I want to see if uh, I want to see if I agree. I think Beauty and the Beast is the hands-down answer on that one. Oh, tell me more. Um, because you have uh, the Beast um, as a prince at the beginning, and he is, uh, he is uh, I mean, it's, it's not exactly the same fall story as the Christian fall story, but it is definitely a fall um, where, you know, he's he's you know he's um, turned into a beast and all of the you know all the um the castle is enchanted under this curse um and then he has to learn to love and it is in the process of being loved that he learns to love and then he sacrifices himself and dies and then comes back in a very uh i think we talked about it at the time it, was, it seemed to be a very um christian illusiony sort of way um, that he came back, and uh, yeah, I think that's that, that. And then you know, the the castle is restored. All the people are restored because of his his act of uh, self sacrifice and the and the act of love of of Belle as well. Boy, I was way off. I I thought you were going to talk about the whale who wanted to sing at the Met. <laughs> no, uh, I, the one I had in mind, and it, it yours is better, but the one I had in mind was the Lion King, which has that Fisher King story that we i know we talked a lot about um um, and beauty and the beast has it too right you you have Mm -hmm. when the when the person in charge of the society is in sin is broken is ill the entire society falls and then it's restored at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. i think you see that really clearly in the lion king but uh, beauty and the beast is better because it does have that kind of individual redemption arc yeah, but I don't think it's much better. I had Lion King on my list as well. I just I had Beauty and the Beast as the hands down one, but Lion King I think is a great illustration. I'm 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 100% in agreement with you. I remember there was a guy that I I, I worked with formerly a former colleague of mine who said he thought it was the most Christian of all the of all the um, movies. Um, he really liked um, the image of God uh, within us um, type thing that happens with um, Simba and Mufasa. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on Lion King. I included uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk for the same, <laughs> not for the same reasons. It's, it's a lower down one, but it, it is got, it does have the that Fisher King uh, that you were just talking about that Fisher King plot. Uh, I'm trying to remember the other movies we talked about that have the Fisher King plot. 
it i mean there's there's at least four or five of them that do it's a it's a it's a pretty common thing in these movies i mean i guess not that common there's 50 movies or whatever <laughs> yeah 70 <laughs> or 60 i guess there's 60 movies but yes um, yeah um but no yeah but it, but it is, is something that comes up from time to time it, yeah it, it has come up several times um I was I was thinking about uh, a couple other movies here as well that are a, li- a little less um, in the best illustrating, but I felt like uh, the Disney version of Hercules uh, re- was really removed all the pagan elements and completely Christianized the story, um, even using gospel music. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, like I feel like Hercules was made out to be a very. Um, uh, Maybe not exactly a Christ-like figure, but he does the same thing, you know, sacrificing himself um, in order to save Meg. Um, has to become fully human before he can save her. Like, you know, uh, there's there's definitely, um, I think, um, <laughs> what's his name? Not Michael Eisner, you know, said, you know, don't worry about the stretches you have to make on these questions. Like, go ahead and stretch it. You know, I think if you're willing to stretch it a little bit, I think Hercules is definitely there um, in that creation, fall, redemption, restoration arc. Um, What's the most pagan Disney movie? <laughs> I have my answer. I know exactly which one. Oh, really? Go ahead. I don't Bambi. Know. Oh, yeah. Just, I remember you talking not, about that at the time. It's not a critique, but I mean, Bambi's just like openly a pagan movie. It's mm-hmm. it's the the rhythms of the natural world and death right. and rebirth. And I mean, Circle uh, Lion King with the Circle of Life stuff is also pagan. Mm-hmm. I think in its way. Yeah. Um, that's not a criticism of Bambi. I know that's um, if that's not your favorite, I mean, it's got to be up toward the top of your list. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a great movie. And I don't think there's I would I would have no scruples about showing it to a kid or anything like that. I don't think it's going to turn anybody into a pagan. But um, <laughs> that, that's the thing that struck me watching it as we did a few years ago that um, Bambi really like a deeply, deeply pagan movie. Yeah. In kind of a, a beautiful, mysterious way. I mean, paganism is no longer a threat um, to me. So. Uh, I can kind of stand back and and appreciate it from a distance in, in mm-hmm. a way that they probably couldn't have in the second century when there were still active pagans running around. I, I right. know there's quote unquote active pagans running around, but let's be real. They're not real pagans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, not in the same way. And definitely, right. I think some of those. Uh, well, I don't know. This, this again, gets into that social uh uh, you know, broader social things that I'm not good at, at talking about, so I probably shouldn't say anything. But I, I do think it's interesting how people have said, you know, some of the pagan virtues are coming back. You know, um, our our desire for, you know, sex and money and stuff is, you know, a, a kind of age old <laughs> type type things. You know, and they they were, you know, we had we had we had goddesses of of love and stuff in the past and now you know aphrodite's worship is is as strong as ever but we just don't call it aphrodite worship anymore true yeah the people who think of themselves as pagans aren't and um many of us actually are right um do you want to say more about pinocchio here in this 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 is where i was thinking we would maybe say more about pinocchio um pinocchio uh uh, the original story that was uh incoherent (laughs) incoherent People love it. There's there's a couple new Pinocchios that have just come out that are supposed to be really true to the uh, the original. Did, did you read the book? I, I did. Yeah, this is early enough in our in our one of the worst books I've was, ever read. I was trying to read all the source material. Um, I think maybe Pinocchio is why I stopped. <laughs> I know it's it only. Very far. Yeah, I did. I didn't make it very far at all. Um, but I feel like again, this is this is a movie that Disney in some ways Christianized. Um, I think they certainly made it a better narrative. 
Yeah, but and and maybe it's it's just that. Maybe it's just the narrative became more, you know, uh, fall redemption restoration. Um, that makes it seem more Christianized. But yeah, you, you do get that like unconditional love on the part of Geppetto for Pinocchio, and he's not yeah. even mad when Pinocchio betrays him and screws <laughs> up. He just he all all he wants is for him to be safe. Mm-hmm. To me, Pinocchio is the saddest of the Disney movies. Like, like to watch that and see how lonely Geppetto is, mm-hmm. and um, and and how much Pinocchio abuses him. It's it's just that that's a that's a difficult movie to watch. Right. But there is cons- consummation at the end, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. What do we got next? Uh, what connection is there, if any? between the label level of creative risk-taking a particular movie conveys and its alignment with Christian themes and or values, either in conception or in execution. I'm not sure I see one. Do you see one? I didn't. I was hoping you'd have something to say on this because I was like, I don't know. I guess I went back through the list and was trying to see... I mean, I know they were taking different creative risks at different times, but I don't know that there was necessarily uh, Christian themes coming through or not coming through in correlation with those risks. I know? also sincerely doubt that at any point in the company's history, did anybody sit down and say, I'm going to, we're going to make a Christian, a, a Christian narrative here. I think probably when that came through, it was unconscious either because the people making the movies were themselves Christian. And I don't really have a sense of, of the religious beliefs of, of people who made Disney movies mm-hmm. um, or just because that is the kind of, standard story arc in Western culture after, you know, after Christ. And it just kind of, um, if they weren't specifically thinking about it, that's the shape the story took. Right. Um, now, I do, I do think there have been more recent movies where they sat down and said, we're going to tell, you know, X, Y, Z story with X, Y, Z message. But like, I, I don't think that, I don't think if anybody sat down and said, let's Christianize Pinocchio. I think they said, let's turn this into a coherent story. And the the version of a coherent story they turned it into happened to be one with Christian beats. Yes, I would agree with that. The only place I would push back a little bit, and only because I do know that he's a believer, is with uh, Glenn Keane, um, who we talked about several times as an animator. Now, he obviously didn't have full control over any movie because he never directed anything, I don't think. Maybe Tangled? He was... Or I think he was just a creative consultant. I don't, yeah, I don't think he ever directed a. a yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he ever directed one. But I'm, like, I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were a number of Christians working for the animation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there were as well. I just meant that. I know. I know that specifically with that that Beauty and the Beast scene. I think in some of the behind the scenes stuff, or maybe it wasn't official Disney behind the scenes stuff. Maybe it was a a different interview with him somewhere else where he was he was definitely drawing upon. Um, some of his uh you know his understanding of christianity in order to you know like he was trying to put that into his art so i think there are times when that when you know subtly or not so subtly the christians within the company are working to you know let let their christianity move them um or inspire them but i agree i but yeah i totally agree that no one at no point in the studio's history where they're like let's make a christian movie right right (laughs) Although there, I don't know, you got so, Snow White praying. I mean, there is there is stuff like that. I mean, I, and I remember when we saw Snow White praying that we were like, "Oh, this is never going to happen again." But there's there's a lot of prayer 
in the Disney movies. You know, there's there's a lot of I mean, it's not always prayer to God, but there is a lot of prayer that happens in Disney movies. <clears throat> Johnny Appleseed carries his Bible around, you know. That's true. <laughs> I mean, there's just yeah, it's there's there's stuff that's there with those with eyes to see, I guess, and ears to hear. I don't know. So yeah. But yeah, I did not see a correlation on that. I would love to know if uh, if um, you know anybody has seen some <laughs> and wants to share it with us. And yeah, I would love to know. But I didn't. I didn't see a, a correlation on that. All right. Um, I think that ends our most Christian humanist awards. Right. With yes, that. it does. Yeah. Okay. Couple more major awards to get through, though. Um, we've got uh, best background art, best background art, and the examples given were—I'm um, not going to pronounce this right—I don't think Pinocchio's Tyrolean scenery or Bambi's Tyrolean. I don't know Tyrolean. Yeah, I had to look the word up. Or Bambi's uh, watercolor forests, which I think are both excellent choices. Yeah, those are those are really beautiful for best background art. But you know I my choice, Brother Bear. Oh, I was wondering when you said you're going to mention Brother Bear later. I was wondering if it was going to be Brother Bear on Best Background Art. Brother Bear is a lousy, lousy movie in so many ways. But my goodness, the background art, especially for 2003, it's really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes, worth I watching with your uh, with the sound off. <laughs> That's right. Put on put on some other soundtrack and just uh... <laughs> listen to the baseball game and watch and just zone Brother out, Bear. Zone out the Brother Bear. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I love that. Uh, well, what's your pick? Um, well, I don't really have a. I, I, I had a hard time with this because we we've seen so many, and I think we've praised so many. The the two that jumped out in my mind, as I I just feel like we'd be remiss not to mention them, was uh, Johnny Appleseed uh, and Melody Time. But that was the one where I mean, it's basically a Mary Blair painting yeah. come to life. Um, yeah, we and, gotta we gotta get Mary Blair in there somewhere. Yes, and uh, Walter Paragoy did the uh, the background in 101 Dalmatians, and I know it's a very very different than, and it's 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 even hard to call beautiful because it's so avant garde or something. But like I just I love it. I love the 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 wild, lively, bright color choices that he uses, and the the way it's like all painted outside the lines. <laughs> like I just there's there's something like I could just stare. At, at that movie forever. I, lo- I, I, love I wonder how many young people's view of the city in general and London in particular come from that movie, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many people who, who grew up after 101 Dalmatians are attracted to cities because of the, the beautiful weirdo presentation of them in 101 Dalmatians? Yeah. It would be me for sure because I've never been to London, so I have nothing else to... In in my mind, London is 101 Dalmatians. It's not too far off. Well, that's good to hear. Okay, so that's best background art. How about uh, best of animation? Do we want to do this uh, kind of draft style like we did last month, or or do we want to just just keep going the way we're going right now? Let's just keep going the way we're going. Okay. All right, I got one that I bet you're not is not on your list. Okay, let's hear it. Aquarela do Brazil, the watercolor of Brazil. I had totally forgotten about that, but that that's got to be in terms of like stuff in a feature. It's got to be one of the most interesting seven minutes of a Disney movie. Yeah, I think so. 
really not the whole thing. There's 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 parts of it that's just you know Donald Duck being Donald Duck, but <laughs> there's a lot of it that is just stunning, and it's stuck with me um, since you know. I mean, we must have watched that one back in 2017 or early 2018. I don't know, but it's stuck with me, and I just I I loved that. That is that from Saludos or is it from Caballeros? That's from Saludos. Yeah. Okay. So that one I can actually go back and watch again. Yeah, yeah. That that sequence at least. Yeah. Go ahead. Think. So like the height of 2D animation, I think is probably The Lion King. It's it's just really hard. It's really hard to beat that movie in terms of hand drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in the Disney canon. Yeah. Although I do feel like uh, there's there's parts of um, Tarzan, which I mean, we mentioned Glenn Keane already, but like I think he's like at the height of his powers (laughs) and uh, Tarzan and also Atlantis. I remember uh, Atlantis has that really has um, that really. uh, It's the only time that they really did a character that was part 2D and part 3D animation with uh, mm. uh, Captain Silver, or what's his name? He's not. Is that right? It's, I mean, it's the Long John Silver character. Yeah, Long John Silver, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's Glenn Keane's work on that one, too. But that's Treasure That's Treasure Planet, right? Not Atlantis? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes. I get him confused, too. Yeah, I wrote, I, wrote, <laughs> I wrote the wrong thing down. But yes, I meant Treasure Planet is what I meant. Um, yeah. Um, Encanto, I think, in terms of the 3D, has been the most beautiful one. Which mm-hmm. It's the most recent good movie. Strange World is newer, but Strange World... There's some parts of Strange World that look really good, but for the most part... The character design in Strange World is so ugly that there's no way I'm giving it an animation award. Right. Um, but Encanto, I, I thought you might pick Encanto for the backgrounds, just because the um, the backgrounds are so good. Yeah, Encanto is an amazing movie. I have, and I know this is a bias of mine, and it's come clear <laughs> come through clearly on the shows. But but I just love the old 2D look, and there's like I think you can tell a great story with 3D animation. I love the movie Encanto, but the the animation work just doesn't move me the way 2d stuff so i I have a hard time putting any of the 3d stuff into the best of category just because i i love the 2d stuff yeah that's why that's why i wanted to do two different ones because i I don't think those two things really compare yeah uh here's a question which of the now you i know you mentioned 101 dalmatians for the backgrounds which of the uh xerox pictures has the best animation well, I so the other one I put on here is like every scene with Cruella Deville. <laughs> I feel like Cruella Deville is just masterfully animated. Um, and then after that, after 101 Dalmatians, the Xerox films start getting really Xeroxy, you know? Yeah. Um, just no fault against the uh, the animators themselves, but they just. They had much less to work with. Yeah, they had much less to work with. I'm trying to remember here. The New York scenes in The Rescuers, I love so much. And and part of it is just that, like, New York is such a scuzzy place uh in the late 70s, and it works so perfectly with the Xerox. So it's not like that's a super well-animated movie. Um, But I think the visual look really works for it. No, and I think you're exactly right. And I think that's actually where my mind was going as you said it was. I think 
the height of so 101 Dalmatians starts the Xerox era, and right. then they basically go through a slump. But then I think it it's is Rescuers the end of the Xerox era, or it's really close to it. But well, I mean, Fox and the Hound is still pretty Xeroxy. Oh, uh, that's true. Well, anyway, I, I think I think they peaked probably with Rescuers, though. I think Rescuers is a is a really it's it's a it's a lovely movie in its way. I think the animation is pretty good in its way. You know, I I cannot believe that I didn't say anything about Sleeping Beauty, which um, I I I love the artwork in Sleeping Beauty so much. I don't know that it reads to me as beautiful animation necessarily, but the all the design, the, mm-hmm. just the way that movie looks, you know, it looks like a medieval tapestry, right? Yeah, basically, and yes. um, they they do such. I mean, they did such a great job with it that it almost bankrupted the studio and led the next uh, decade and a half, two decades, to be. Xerox pictures. Right. Yes. And yeah, you're, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> I, I can't believe I didn't mention Sleeping Beauty either. I know that you love it more than I do, but you're right. Sleeping Beauty is, is just, uh, it, it we should have at least mentioned it in, uh, best background art, if not in best of animation. Cause there's, there's, uh, that is the end of the, you know, the, the painted era. Um, yeah. And it is, and I think it is the height of their work in that, you know, I, I do think that the, the animators tend to get, you know, better and better and better at what they do. Even though there are slumps in the quality of the movies, um, I do feel like the animation tends to rise, even if the stories don't hold together as well or whatever. So, those five '50s movies, just in terms of the look of them, Cinderella, Alice, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, and Sleeping Beauty, the the visuals in those are just unimpeachable. I mm-hmm. I, I don't know that if you pick five movies in a row in any, any era, any of them are going to look as good as those five in a row do, which is not to say that, I mean, Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan are not great movies, mm-hmm. um, but boy, do they look good. And a, a lot of that is Mary Blair. Yeah. She did the, she did the backgrounds on both of those. Mm-hmm. You are right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the best five. <laughs> Not the best five movies, but I think you're you're right. Those the the fifties era animation at Disney is impeachable. I I stamp that. Stamp approval. All right, now we've got our uh, or do you have anything more to say on that? Do you want to say more about the three D animation? No. Because you're right, we probably should have popped that out into a separate category, and I didn't really do that in my thinking. Okay, um, should have, would have, could have, didn't. Best worst hero. I know my huh. pick. It's probably your pick too. You think? Oh, I don't know. Who who do you have? Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood is a strong contender. It's got made. Be. I think I have to dock a few points from Robin Hood because it is basically just the Errol Flynn performance from from the live action <laughs> adventures of Robin Hood. It's not like I mean none of these are original characters as such, but the Robin Hood performance really is just straight out of Errol Flynn. Better than Errol Flynn, like they outdid him. But if not him, who would I put above him? Like that's the that's the question, right? Yeah. I mean, gosh. There's so many different kinds of heroes. I don't think you're going to outdo him in terms of like um, the swashbuckler, right? Like he's better than somebody like Peter Pan. Oh, for example. Peter Pan. I don't even have Peter Pan on my list. Right. 
He's better than Basil of Baker Street. Yep. He's better than Flynn Rider, who I think is the person he probably has the most in common with. Yeah. I, I do have Flynn on my list, but I mean, he is not as good as Robin Hood for sure. But then you have like the, or Prince Philip is another one from, from Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. But then you have the, the heroine who isn't a fighter. Well, let's, let's save heroines for a second. Let's just, okay. let's so just, with, just stick, hero. stick with just heroes for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think you got to go with Robin Hood. Like I, I don't, I don't know who, in, unless you're going to pick a kind of anti-hero like Ichabod, <laughs> you know, or, um, or like Bernard from the rescuers. Yep. The rescuers is such a minor movie. Yeah. In the now, grand I, scheme of things. I, I think you got to go Robin Hood. I'm trying, I'm trying to disagree with you and I can't. <laughs> It's all right. I have Bernard on my list. Um, I think I think he's a great hero. He is extremely different than Robin Hood. So. <laughs> the other one who's in that vein would be uh, Paca or Pacha, however you say his name, from uh, Emperor's New Groove. Mm-hmm. If you would consider him a hero, I don't know if like the the movie really turns on his actions. So I would say he is, but and he'd be in that kind of Bernard, um, you know, the the gentle hero. What about Baymax? Baymax is pretty great. I feel like the whole Big Hero Six like crew is pretty, you know, pretty great. But yeah, Baymax. Baymax is ooh, ooh, Baymax uh, is definitely get a mention. Does definitely should definitely get a mention. Blue. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna save some comments on Baloo for later. So. Okay. If you want to consider is yeah, if you want to consider Baloo a hero. I didn't right? know he's kind of a sidekick. He's so. kind of a sidekick. Although he's the see, it's tough because the Jungle Book has a hero who does not have a lot of personality, and he's surrounded by giant personalities. Right. So, like Mowgli is definitely not top ten even heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you consider Baloo the because Baloo is the one everybody remembers from that movie. Yeah. He 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 might be able to take Robin Hood. Okay. I will. I will. I'll let that sit there for now until we okay. get back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, heroin. I found heroin much harder to do. Yeah, the the there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of very memorable female characters. Yeah, and they're not always heroines though. Like, you know, like I know this is a criticism of Disney that I don't particularly love. Like the the damsel in distress, you know, that gets the title card in the movie, but it isn't really a heroine. Um, there aren't that many of those. Yeah, there aren't that many of those, which is why I don't like that that thing. You know, I don't I don't like that criticism. But, you know, it's hard to it is still hard to say someone like Cinderella. Like, do you call her a heroine? Yeah, Cinder, but Cinderella, I mean, Cinderella is an active participant in her story. She does not yeah, sit around waiting to get rescued. No, she doesn't. She is one. She's not, she's not Aurora. No, Aurora's yeah. not the hero of Sleeping Beauty, though. Yeah. Prince Philip is. That's Prince Philip's right. movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, Belle is probably my. I mean, that's such a cliched choice, but. Um, no, I, I think Belle is a great choice. Belle is not a cliched choice. I think she's. She's probably the. She's she's probably the top of the list, honestly. I like Tiana, um, too, and and I think she has a lot of stuff in common with Belle, but she's a little bit, um, a little bit more assertive. Moana, um, is a is I think a, a fairly obvious choice. Mm-hmm. 
Who else would you add? Uh, Vanellope? Yeah, in a different register. In a different register. In in some ways, she's like undermining the whole thing. Um, But yeah, that's a a great character. Yeah. And Ralph breaks the internet. She's she's not undermining it, is is she? She's she's undermining the whole Disney thing. She's not undermining the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. And and Ralph breaks the internet. For sure, she's undermining the Disney thing. Yeah. Um, Yep. I like Mirabelle, too, from Encanto. I mean, I like her, I like her journey that she has to take because she doesn't want to do it at all. <laughs> yeah, she wants to save the family without having to change at all, and I like that she she goes through that. I think it's really good. And I put Miss Miss Bianca in there just because I put Bernard on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> you you didn't put uh, Maid Marian? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> See, Miss Miss Bianca, and we'll get to this in a second too. But you know. Uh, Miss Bianca was voiced by uh, Eva Gabor <laughs> and made Marion been voiced by Eva Gabor then she may have made it a little less as well <laughs> wait are you like a big fan of Eva Gabor of her voice at least huh. do you <laughs> like watch do you watch uh, good, Green, Green Acres <laughs> no have you ever seen Green Acres I haven't actually ever seen Green Acres do I only you, know her I, I only know her from the Disney movies but I do love, you I love do you know movies. the show um I am aware of the show. I don't I don't really know much about it at all. It's bonkers. <laughs> Weren't you gonna watch Dick Van Dyke or something? It was Diagnosis Murder. That was gonna be your, your watch through for twenty twenty three. Right. Well I was yeah, well I was I'm watching oh, well, my plan is still to watch all the Dick Van Dyke movies. I've 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 not made as much progress as I ought to, but he only has like twelve, so I'm I'm still good. I still think oh, I, I didn't know he made that done, few movies. Yeah, he hasn't made, well, then, he made then you he can made watch all the Green Acres. Then I well and yeah if I decide to watch the Dick Van Dyke television shows then there's a lot more but if I just do the movies then anyway sorry that's all right <laughs> I way sidetracked us on that one I'm sorry um best worst good sidekick Lady Cluck <laughs> oh man oh that's great yes you're right you're right. Like and if you could take Lady Cluck and Little John as one, there would be no, there there would be no argument with it, right? Like if if they counted as because one of them's the woman sidekick and one of them's the man sidekick. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you're yeah you're totally right. Lady Cluck and Little John, even Friar Tuck, man, that movie is full of good sidekicks. Yeah, even like Alan Adale, who you wouldn't think of as being a great character, because yeah. he's voiced by Roger Miller and he sings those wonderful songs. Yes, yeah, what a great movie. Great movie. Um, I had uh, Jacques from uh, Cinderella. Sure, Jacques and and, uh, and Gus Gus and Gus Gus. Oh, well, Gus Gus. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna mention Gus Gus again later because I love Gus Gus. I don't know how good a sidekick he is. Yeah, he's got a lot of heart, but I don't know how. <laughs> what about Jacques from Lady and the Tramp? Oh yeah, two Jacques. Uh, yeah, Jacques from Lady and the Tramp is pretty good. I don't really think of him as a sidekick. I mean, it, I guess. What's the other one's name? The one that actually trusty. Yeah, trusty actually sacrifices himself. You think he's dead for a minute, you know? So trusty comes back to life. Yep, trusty is a pretty good sidekick. And then uh, here, I assume, is where you would put Baloo, or does Baloo count as an animal sidekick? Well, do I? Oh, do we have a separate category? Oh, we do have a separate. Category. It's in the lightning round. We can just yeah, cover that here. Yeah. yeah, we're already over an hour, so. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we are. We should we should move on here. 
so I think Bagheera is the better sidekick. Oh, that is that is a hot take. Um, <laughs> Bagheera is the one who's actually pressing Mowgli towards where he needs to be. Baloo is actually, in some ways, holding Mowgli back. But see, this is this is why Baloo is actually the star of that movie because Baloo is the one who has an emotional arc in that movie. Like Baloo is the one who changes over the course of the movie. Mowgli does too a little bit, right. but Baloo is the one who has to learn to give him up. And so, if if Baloo can be the main character, I'll let you say Bagheera is the the best sidekick. Okay, so this is where I'm gonna uh, I'll I'll skip ahead. Uh, just a bit. I will come back. I mean, but I'll, I'll skip ahead. So Gina wanted to know our favorite character in general, personal favorite, and I put Baloo the Bear as my personal favorite character. I, I think he's probably things. mine too. Yeah. And if I mean, it's, it's if it's not him, it probably is Little John. You know, it's Phil Harris. Yeah. Yep. So. Like I don't I don't know who else I would who else I would say. Yeah, I think I think. And I think you're right. It is because he has the emotional arc of the story, and yeah, the, as the side as a sidekick thing, it's it's hard because he does he does come around in the end, sort of. I mean, even at the very end, he's saying "come back, come back." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know that he really goes all the way to push Mowgli to where he needs to be. I guess it depends how you read the end of that movie. If you like right, it, he, whisper, he whispers it like he he hopes he doesn't have to go through with the sacrifice he's making. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. It's his uh, take this cup from me moment, I guess. Right. If there's a way. Right. He does die and come back to life in that movie. He does. He does. Oh, he's a great character. I mean, he's, he's a super, super great character. You can put him in every category. He wins every category. He, he even wins best female villain somehow. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good he is. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that jumps us to, of all those we've called National Treasures, who is the National Treasures? Did we call Phil Harris a National Treasure? I'm not sure. I don't know, but he definitely is my pick for that. Is he a Disney legend? They give that out to almost anybody now. Surely he is. He's got to be. He's not. Somebody is doing something wrong. One last time our listeners can hear me (laughs) (laughs) looking something up during the middle of the show. Old timey keyboard sound. Michael was checking this on his typewriter. <laughs> you should add like a little ka-ching. I use a real in, in the post. I, I use a real keyboard. I ha, I have a you know here's here's a behind the scenes look. I have a <laughs> desktop computer that I record all this on. What does that even mean? It's not a laptop. No, I know what it means. Oh, okay. I was I was doing that in the voice of our youngest listeners. Oh, I see. <clears throat> I think he's not. No way. This this website knows from 2013. So it's 10 years ago. Maybe they've added him since. <laughs> okay. But it's a list of seven people who are not Disney legends who should be. Burl right. Ives, Dorothy McGuire, Peter Ustinoff, James MacArthur. See, these are all live action people. Janet Monroe, Don Knotts. Okay, listen. If he is not a Disney legend then what this show is going to become is the advocacy for Phil Harris becoming a Disney legend. Like every month we'll just get on here and give reasons why. This this says that Steve Martin is a Disney legend for doing a segment introduction in Fantasia 2000. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, I like Steve Martin, but. Oh, I know why he's not a Disney legend. 
Why? So they started doing that in the 90s, and he he and his widow had like an extended legal battle with Disney over his role in the Tailspin cartoon because they replaced him in the Tailspin cartoon because his voice had, you know, he'd gotten old and his voice had kind of rotted out. I think that's right. I don't think I'm making that up. I bet that's why he's not a Disney legend. Wow. You heard it here first. He's dead now, though, and so is Alice Faye. They should just give him the the uh, award uh, posthumously. Yeah, why not? And maybe they already have. I don't know. Like I said, that thing was from 2013. Okay. Somebody tell us. We'll move on. All right. I All was right. going to say Sterling Holloway is the most national treasurist. That that might be true. Sterling Holloway did more than Phil Harris did. Phil Harris really only has the three characters. Uh, Sterling Holloway did, if you count all the shorts he did, probably 15 different voice roles that all sound exactly like Sterling Holloway. Yeah, but it's such a... I could listen to him for a long time. So, I don't know. But, I'll, yeah, it's, it's... They're all national treasures. National treasure-ist. I think it's a... Catch me on the catch me on a different day, and I'd answer it differently. All right, related question: Who would be on the Disney Voice Actor All Star Team? I said basically the cast of Jungle Book, <laughs> <laughs> plus Eva Gabor. <laughs> oh, that, this is tough because there's there's a lot of really great performances, and and who who's this come from? I don't remember. Uh, I don't. They really. they point out that. They had a lot of reliable regulars and have also had some brilliant one-off performances. So I, I think that's exactly right. Um, they, mm-hmm. they mention uh, Jeremy Irons in The Lion King. He never did anything else for Disney except voicing Spaceship Earth. He was the narrator on the Spaceship Earth ride at Epcot um, for a little while. Um, and yet, like, that's an indelible performance. Yeah. That's uh, Scar in The Lion King. But, yeah, right? he's Scar in The Lion, in the Lion yeah. King. Or for that matter, James Earl Jones in The Lion yeah, King. Yeah, James Earl Jones is also in The Lion King. Which I The mean, good <laughs> movies have good casting. Yeah, that's uh, true. The bad movies have bad casting. Yeah. Think about Home on the Range <laughs> with Roseanne Barr. <laughs> Let's not think of it. Let's not think about it. <laughs> I mean, somebody has to mention Robin Williams and Aladdin. Yeah, go ahead, mention it. It's, it's, what it's what is there to say? I know. Yeah, it it totally changed the way um, mainstream cartoons approached voice casting. Yep. Um, pr- for, probably not for the best. I was going to say for better and worse. <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. like how, how are you going to compete with that? I can't believe they made a live action film without him available to play the genie. You kind of got to feel bad for Will Smith. Yeah. Maybe that's what made him so angry. <laughs> uh, uh, who plays Kronk in The Emperor's New Groove? Patrick Warburton. Oh, yeah. What a performance. Yeah. What a performance. That's and a hardly that's a performance. A he's just doing putty, <laughs> right? Like, he's, he's, doing, he's doing the same character he always does, but he's great at it. He's so good. <laughs> Um, Alan Tudyk probably needs a shout out here just for doing so many different, often just bit parts now. Yeah, he's been in every one since I forget. I, forget. Ralph, I think. Yeah, or maybe even before that. It's been, yeah, it's been a lot. <clears throat> he's their, uh, who's the Pixar guy? 
that was in like every single Ratzenberger. Episode. Yeah, Ratzenberger. He's their Ratzenberger. Or their Kurt, their their Kurt Ratzenberger. Anyway, right. obviously uh, lots of great um, voice performances. Okay, we've got um, a kind of a combined question: best animal sidekick, and this uh, this one I'll, we also got from Amy Johansson. Your favorite animal character and why? Out of all the movies you've covered, you go first on that. Well, uh, I think you know. I mean, outside the ones that we've already been talking about, you know, obviously Baloo is an animal character, but I would say Gus Gus from like. I just I really like Gus Gus. <laughs> he's not he's not very effective at what he does. He's got so much heart. He's so cute. He's adorable. I think Gus Gus is at the top of the list. Favorite animal character. <laughs> <laughs> um Gus Gus is good. Uh, yeah. Flower from Bambi, I've always loved. Mm-hmm. I mean Flower's such a minor character. Yeah, but I mean that it's Favorite animal character slash animal sidekick. So that's good. That works. I'll give a shout out to Abu and Sebastian, who I think are both, you know, seminal characters in their way. Lewis from uh, The Princess and the Frog. Yeah. Oh man, that scene in Princess of the Frog when he's <laughs> Joan jumps on the boat to play along with the jazz musicians and they all Oh yeah, I love that. All right. Um which Disney character would you most identify with considering personality, worldview, behavior, maybe even appearance? Did you have a good answer? Maybe even appearance. <laughs> I think I look kind of like little John, but you know, I I um I talked about this when we did Mr. Toad, but I, I do, I do kind of identify with Mr. Toad just because of, he's so clearly bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I recognize some of the things he does in myself. Um, not maybe the most flattering person to identify with. Yeah, I think it's, that's, it's a great answer though. I do remember you saying that at the time. Yeah. I, I struggled with this question. I came up with uh, Toby turtle. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, though. I know. I know. Well, kind of cowardly, you know, but it's all right. I think you're, like, pitched halfway between Toby Turtle and Jose Carioca. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a Jose Carioca inside you yeah. waiting to get out. It's deep, it's, it's deep inside that turtle shell. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. <clears throat> Least annoying cutesy character. Huh. I said Winnie the Pooh if that counts. I don't know if that counts. Does he count as a cutesy character? Yes. Because Dorothy Parker has that famous review of House at Pooh Corner where she says, Constant Weeda threw up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I should have I should have had something prepared for this because I know that I hate a lot of cute characters. <laughs> And I know that every now and then we'd be watching one of these movies and you would turn to me expecting me to hate somebody and I would turn out to not hate them. Right. Um, And it would be surprising. And hell if I can remember any (laughs) of those people. Um, Ray from The Princess and the Frog seems like a character who would annoy me and mostly doesn't. Yeah. Is Ray cutesy, though? He's He's not exactly cutesy. Firefly. 
You know, the one that I remember most strongly, because you're right, that did happen a few times. The one that I remember most strongly, I think, was, um, I'm looking at the the cast list because I don't remember any of the names of the characters in this movie. Um, Oh, man. It was in uh, the Black Cauldron. Who's the who's the? Oh, but didn't I hate he... that guy? Oh, did you? Yeah, I think I, I hated that guy. Oh, maybe you did hate that guy. How about <laughs> Thumper? I like what Thumper. A weird, what a weird memory then when I remember it opposite of what it is. I, I, you know, I don't remember either, but I, yeah. I sure, I sure thought I hated that guy. Yeah, maybe you did. <laughs> maybe Miko you did. from uh, yeah. from Pocahontas. Miko's not cute exactly, right? Like you need someone who's like actually aggressively. <laughs> cutesy yeah miko's pretty cute i think miko miko definitely qualifies in this category all right well let's move on to the next okay one. yeah lightning round it is um sorry i just uh, i scrolled and i lost my my place okay uh most nonsensical plot is clearly aristocats um uh, I will see your aristocrats. Aristocats. <laughs> aristocrats is the movie where they tell that vulgar joke. Um, I will see. I will see your aristocrats and raise you the adventures of Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebottle. Fair. Okay. Uh, does Lin Manuel Miranda fan energy or nostalgia goggles drive the show's estimation of a given film higher? Oh, I think both of us are going to have to answer this separately because I don't really have Lin-Manuel Miranda fan energy. It's true. I, and I do. Um, yeah. And probably, yeah, for me, it's probably, that probably is the answer. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda, I mean, both definitely drive the show's estimation of a given film higher. <laughs> but probably if just, you know, the, the fact that, the recent movies that we've mentioned uh, in Kanto and Moana that he had a part in both, both rank really high for me. And Mary Poppins returns. Yeah. Mary Poppins returns. I probably wouldn't even have liked it if he wasn't in it. So except for the Dick Van Dyke scene at the very end. So, yeah. What do you think? For me? Well, I think for you, it's nostalgia goggles because you just said you don't have one in one. Do you think I'm self-deceiving here? Do you think nostalgia goggles actually are higher for me? No, I think, um, I mean, I certainly notice it more with the fan energy. Okay. I want to uh, make it clear. I don't, I don't dislike him. Oh, I know. I like Hamilton. Yeah. Okay, uh, Judy Hopps and Lady Clux and their respective films within sniffing distance of bipedal foxes, and neither one by the end of the movie has been eaten. What gives? My favorite moment of my entire life is a Christian humanist podcast we were doing once. I can't remember. We have an episode in Robin Hood movies. It might be from that. It might be from something else. I don't know, and Lord knows I'm not going back to listen to them. But at one point, I went on an extended riff about... Um, about Maid Marian having to continually suppress her desire to eat Lady Cluck <laughs> and David Grubbs laughed so hard that I thought he was going to pass out. I've never been more proud of anything <laughs> I've ever done. I will point out that Judy Hopps is the, the answer to this is in the movie itself. The uh, foxes don't, despite being obligate carnivores. I don't actually, I don't think they are obligate carnivores, but despite being carnivores, foxes don't have to be carnivores. Yeah. According to that movie. According to the movie. It's never it's never addressed with Lady Cluck. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, best non-musical. I don't know if I want to answer this right now because I think it's gonna it's gonna spoil my answers for my my top films. I haven't made a top films list, so I don't have that problem. Um, probably the Emperor's New Groove. I'm I'm scrolling through my list and seeing which ones are musicals and which ones are non-musicals. And I, Emperor's New Groove is pretty high up there on that <laughs> non-musical list, but not has not the highest. That's all I'll tease for now. All right. Okay. Um, we're already over an hour in, but the next question is Michael must spend one hour explaining why Robin Hood and Sword in the Stone are amazing, which you don't even like Sword in the Stone. Hate Sword in the Stone. And I would and say Robin or, Hood needs no explanation. Yeah. Like it's self-evidently an amazing movie. You know, the thing about that movie, it's not what it's not that well made. Um it's it's chintzy, the animation's bad, the story's kind of ridiculous, they recycle a bunch of stuff. Everybody knows this, and yet Watch that movie without feeling a deep sense of joy. And if you can do that, you're a monster. You're something. You you have some <laughs> you have somehow handicapped your soul. All right. And to be clear, you're you're defining Robin Hood as a musical. Yeah, Robin Hood's a musical. Okay. <clears throat> I agree. I just make it making sure. Um, I mean, there's is there a, like an I want a song in Robin Hood? <laughs> there's that song Love. Yeah, that's the one I was fast forwarded through as a kid. I like it better now. I like it better now. I you don't fast forward through the kissing parts anymore. Yeah, that's right. I've, I've matured. Um, best package film. And the bonus question is: Are Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad and Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh package films? We decided adventure. I don't want to steal your thunder. You you declared Many Adventures of Winnie Pooh is you a package film, right? No, you Did I say it, it wasn't. You, you said it is an anthology. It is an <laughs> anthology, but Ichabod and Mr. Toad is a package film, and so. it is in fact the best of the package films. the The difference I would say is that the shorts in Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh were not produced for the movie. They were they they are shorts that were released theatrically before other movies and then gathered together in the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Yes. Um, I think you, I agree. That you don't want to. You don't want to shoot for Saludos Amigos. No. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure of Ichabod and Mr. Toad is my highest as well. I do like Fun and Fancy Free, but I don't think I like it as much as Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Here's what we're gonna do for uh, for next time. We'll add this to the list. We're gonna take the shorts in Salvados Caballeros, make mine music and melody time, and we are going to make the perfect seven short package film oh yeah i like this idea we'll leave fun and fancy free and ichabod out of it because those those are long segments right okay and then we also kind of ignored fantasia and fantasia 2000 i feel like fantasia fantasia is a package film yeah and i might Mm. i might like better than ichabod it's it's so much more ambitious I might even like Fantasia 2000 more than Ichabod. Ooh. I mean, is that, that one's really close. But, I mean, yeah, that one's really close. I don't know. I could I could be talked out of that one. But I think Fantasia... If Fantasia I, counts, I think we got to say Fantasia I over Fantasia Ichabod. I definitely like over Ichabod, for sure. 
There are a lot of boring parts of Fantasia, though. It's true. You got to be in a mood for Fantasia. You don't. It's have a to very a, long movie. You don't have to be in a mood for Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And so, if it's like, if if you're ranking, when you're ranking a movie, if if you're if you're weighed heavier on, I can put this in any time and enjoy it, then Ichabod and Mr. Toad, I think, wins that. But if you're ranking, like, if if when you're ranking a movie, and you're weighing things in your mind, and you're just thinking like you know, the ambition or the artistry, artistry or something, then I think Fantasia or Fantasia 2000. So it's, it's we'll find out next month in your rankings which ones, you know, are, are higher for you. All right. Uh, do you have a favorite of our podcast episodes? I don't. As do I said to... earlier, I immediately forget every episode <laughs> as soon as we finish recording them. And then I briefly remember them while I'm editing them and I forget them again. <laughs> Yeah, I think what we talked about earlier is probably my answer. I think, you know, the things that stuck out for me, Rescuers, Mary Poppins. I do remember being really proud of my uh, Tigger is Jesus in uh, Winnie the Pooh. Like us. It was a good. Um, what's it like being a podcaster, Michael? <laughs> you have to ask somebody who's a podcaster. <laughs> I feel like as a podcaster in a different lifetime. I think we answered the question kind of. It's a it's a very forgetful. <laughs> it's weird. It. It's really fun, and then you forget what you did. <laughs> yeah, and this show is nice because it's almost no work. You know, when we were doing Christian Humanists, it was like it, it's it was an enormous amount of work, and I loved doing that show. And you know, there's 400 episodes or whatever you can go listen to. Maybe we'll do some more one day. I don't know. Um, but like. Uh, it, that was so much work and you never know how many people are listening. You never really get a sense of and podcasting is weird because it's such an intimate art form to listen to because the person is right there in your head. But when you're, when you're, when you're recording a podcast, you know, you're talking into a void essentially. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I don't consider myself a podcaster anymore. This is the only show I do on any kind of regular basis. Um, but I do enjoy doing this show. And I, I mean, I was a very early adopter on podcasting. We started in 2009. Yeah, you're, um, you're, a, you're a godfather of the genre. Right. And I feel like we came in too early and then missed our chance to monetize it. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably true. Oh, well. But you guys were. You were early in starting a podcast. And you were also early in uh, like becoming a network. Which I think a lot of like there's there's a lot of networks of shows now, you know. That's so. true. All right, final question for the day. In a heist film, Robin Hood, Aladdin, <laughs> Flynn Rider, and Maui set out to steal the magic mirror from Snow White's stepmother, the Queen. Who bungles the operation, and who bails the team out? So I think Flynn Rider and Maui would have a similar problem with the magic mirror which is that they would get obsessed with staring at themselves in the mirror <laughs> and then i think aladdin would want to ask the magic mirror about his parents as uh, an orphan yeah. oh yeah i think he has he has angst about that and i think once he finds out that the magic mirror can answer questions like that i think he is going to um he's going to become distracted by that so i think robin hood is our only hope for stealing the magic mirror yeah, the greatest hero. What about you? I think your answer is better, way better than mine. So we'll just leave it with yours. 
I think Robin Hood wins. So. But if Baloo was there. <laughs> Baloo would definitely just stare at himself in the mirror. <laughs> would you recognize it as him, though? Do, do bears? Oh, that's a good point. I don't think sloth. I don't think sloth bears have um, <laughs> have mirror recognition. Oh. <laughs> our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. We're on the old interwebs at before they were dot live. Go check out that awesome chart of uh, vices uh, or deadly sins and uh, christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at before they were live at gmail.com. We also want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Network, where you'll find an abundance of old shows and a few new shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time your time on so thank you for spending the time with us so for michael farmer i'm josh altman chauffeur it's been a pleasure